Would you please stand with me as we read the word of God? Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and with the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You may be seated. We won't be going very long today. It'll be shorter than normal. We only have one question to answer today. Just one, and that's all we're going to spend our time on. Um, Usually, I try to prepare a sermon. I was thinking about 18 down to 30, and... It's probably going to be a two-parter, and I just couldn't get past verse 21 this week. And so um, we'll concentrate all of our efforts and thoughts, and, and the big question of the day is going to come from verse 21. And I, I dare to say, I don't know, that this might want to be one of the most important sermons thus far in the life of Remedy that I might preach here. So um, there's a big task in front of us, and so I'm going to pray that the Lord would come and move mightily in this time and as we open up his word and look at it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would come now and that you would do a mighty work in us. I pray that as we look at your word, as we examine this text this morning, that it would do what it promises. The Spirit would come and your word, like a two-edged sword, would cut down into the division of marrow and that we we would be cut deep by the word and your Spirit, laid bare and truly examine ourselves and look at our hearts Examine our lives and ask. It's for us truly to live is Christ and to die is gain. Jesus, we love you so much and yet we forsake you so often. And I pray, God, that you would come and change that pattern of our life. To be more sanctified, to be more Christ-like. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A short little poem says, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. We've come to my favorite verse in the Bible. And instead of going through it in a quick overview and looking at the entire section, we're going to linger for a little bit today in Philippians one twenty one, and let the Lord do his work through this text. Philippians one twenty one is a text, um, James Boyce says, that cuts like a surgeon's scalpel to the heart of Christianity. We're going to talk about next week about the implications for living for Christ. That's in the rest of the text in this section. What are the implications for living for Christ? But today, 
Um, we're not going to look at the implications and what entails if we decide to live for Christ. Instead, we're just going to do one thing. We're going to decide if we're truly going to live for Christ here at Remedy. Either we are or we're not. Next week, we'll look at what it means. But today, all I want to know today is Remedy. Are we truly going to live for Jesus Christ? James Boyce says that the child of God is called to live all of life under the eye of his heavenly father and to do all things for his glory. And so we're putting out the big question when it says for me to live as Christ to die as gain. We can talk about what it means to live for Christ. And Paul unpacks that for us in the rest of the text. All I want to know today is instead of looking at the implications, let's just decide beforehand if we're going to do that or not. Next week, we'll talk about what it looks like. So before we get to verse 21, Paul uses verses 19 and 20 to build to verse 21. And so we're going to do that. We're going to let 19 and 20 for us be our kind of stepping stones, um, stairs, if you will, to get to verse 21. Then we're just going to put verse 21 out there. We're going to look at it. We're going to ask the question. We're going to be challenged, hopefully, by the Lord. And then we're done. That's it. Verse 20, verse 19, well, 18b and into 19 says, yes, and I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and through the help of the spirit of, of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, if we remember what is going on here, we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks, but Paul um, has been put in jail and he is put in prison because of his faith, not because he's committed a crime. He wanted to go to Rome. He was setting up church plants and he was in Philippi and he did, he set up this church and then they were, there they were, they kind of came into existence and he kept going and he wanted to eventually go to Rome. He eventually does go to Rome, but as a prisoner, these people in, in Philippi hear that Paul's in prison and they send him a gift and Paul, why is there? He's so thankful for their gift. He writes a letter and he sends it back. And now we're reading that. And so the people of Philippi are hearing about Paul's imprisonment. They know that he's in prison. They want to know he's okay. And in verse 19, he says, I know that through your prayers and through the help of Jesus, Christ, it will turn out for my deliverance. Now at first read, we're going to think that must mean deliverance from out of jail. It must mean that I'm going to be delivered out of this jail and I can go on and start doing some more ministry. And more than likely that's, that's part of it, but there's, there's something bigger here that Paul, I think is pushing us towards. And he's saying, not just my deliverance from jail, which I'm asking you Philippians. I believe that I can be delivered my my deliverance from jail, but also my ultimate and final deliverance that I'm, I'm asking you, Philippians, would you aid, would you help me bring this about by literally your prayers and the help of Jesus Christ? Those two things, if those two things can happen, not only my deliverance from jail, but my final ultimate vindication before God, our Redeemer, can happen. And so he's begging for them to do this for him. And then as he keeps going in verse 20, this is very key. He says, as it is my eager expectation, there's, there's no doubt. He says, eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed. This, this word ashamed is not like we think, like someone gets, you know, publicly intoxicated in front of everybody on one Saturday night. And, and they're thinking about what they did. And like, I'm just so ashamed of my behavior last night. This is in the New Testament is a little bit different. It's not shame like that. Instead, or, you know, just did something foolish. Instead, it's, it's kind of the word disappointment. Um, he's saying, I'm not going to be disappointed. It is my eager expectation to hope that I will not be disappointed. This is the same word we see in Romans 1.16. 
where he says that he's not ashamed of the gospel. In other words, Paul is saying, I have never been disappointed in or by the gospel and I never ever will be. It's, it's my eager expectation that it will never happen, that Christ's gospel will never disappoint me, ever. And so he's saying this here, verse 20, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be disappointed, but with full courage as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And so whether he lives or whether he dies, his entire body, his entire existence, every breath he's drawn into his lungs, every moment of every day, every conversation, every familial experience with, with family members, every person he comes into contact with, he wants to honor Christ with everything that's happening completely in his life. And then after posthumously, even in his death, he wants to honor Christ with everything that he's doing. And then he launches into this sentence here where he kind of gives us two godly desires as believers for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. There's, there's two godly desires in that. There's the first one is that I would live for Christ. The first, For me to live as Christ, that is a godly desire. I want everything that I do, every moment, every day, every thought, everything that I do to be about Christ. But also another godly desire is that I would go and I would be with Jesus. And if I would be with Jesus right now, if I just died right now and I go with him, that's even gain. That's that's an amazing thought. No longer struggling, no longer pushing, no longer having to fight, but finally face to face with him. Two godly desires. We're going to put that second one to the side. We'll come to that next week. I just want to look at this first unbelievably godly desire that he kind of throws out there. And he says, for to me, to live is Christ. In other words, nothing else. John Stott talking about Christ being the foundation of Christianity. When we say for me to live is Christ, we don't say Christ and It's just Christ. Everything hangs in the balance on Christianity and for us in the person and work of Christ. Stott says, the person and work of Christ are the foundation rock upon which the Christian religion is built. Take Christ from Christianity and you disembowel it. There is practically nothing left. Christ is the center of Christianity. All else is circumference. All else is just way on the outsides. The only thing that matters is the central hub, and that's Jesus. Without him, we we have nothing. We're just playing games. And so he says, Christ, uh, Paul says, for me to live is Christ. He's the absolute center of it all. To die is gain because that means even now face to face with Christ. That's even better. John Calvin takes that whole verse and kind of translate Philippians 121 in this way. And it's, Um, It's a pretty astute interpretation. He says, to me, Christ is gain in life and in death. In life, he's gain because I get to know him more, serve him more, see people come to know him more, get saved. But also in death, it's even more gain. So Calvin interprets it to me, Christ is gain in life and death. And so here we've come to this one particular question and For us, it's just the first one. And this is what we're going to examine today. And this is the question that we need to establish from this moment on. And as I said, this might be, thus far in Remedy's history, the most important question we could ever ask. Is Christ for us truly who we live for? Is your life dominated by the thought, for me, to live is Christ? Not Christ and 
or not just me, but for me to live is Christ. D.A. Carson saying to live is Christ means ministry, Christ centered ministry, Christ empowered ministry, Christ's presence in his ministry. And so this verse really is just so final. It's my favorite verse in the Bible, more than likely. It cuts away to everything. I just love it. He's saying, I'm either going to live for Jesus and no other person, or I just want to die and now I can be with Christ. There's no selfishness from here, from Paul. How can we then look at verse 121 and say, for to, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. How can we... Have, develop, foster a desire within us to say, I want to be this unselfish. I want to be this all-encompassing in my Christianity. I want for nothing else to be better in life other than Christ. How can we do that? Now, there's two ways that can go about this. Both are biblical. One causes you to feel like I have to do it. And one's I want to do it. I could go the have to do it. I could throw out texts that tell you that Christ has now, because of his work on the cross, has bought you and you're now his possession. I could go this possession route. He owns you, therefore you have to. There's verses in First Peter, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you might proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness. Another one in Titus 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us all from the lawlessness, to purify him for himself, a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. But here's the thing. When I start throwing out these things about you are now bought, he, he owns you, you're his possession. You, you again with me might say, well, if I'm his possession, then it's just I have to. He bought me, I'm a slave to him, he owns me. And since he owns me, I have to just do what he says. And again, those are biblical verses. But there's another just as biblical route that we could go. Instead of trying to throw out these verses that say, you're obligated, you're his possession route. I would rather us go the out of love because I've been saved by Christ, because I'm part of his church. I get to, I want to, because he saved me. So, as we read Philippians 1.21, most of us, if we're honest with our lives, if we're just honest, when we read Philippians 1.21... More than likely, the way we should read it is, for to me to live is me. Perhaps Christ sometimes. But for me to live, usually, is me. And to die, well, that's okay. But maybe not today. Maybe one day in the future. But Paul's saying, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. And so the question I have for you today is, which way do you live? And maybe even the better question is, which way do you want to live? Which way do you want to live? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. What's done for ourselves doesn't last. Only what's done for Christ will last. Paul's definitive commentary on this verse, Philippians 1.21, he's provided for us in another text in Galatians 2.20. And so I just want to kind of bring those two together for us. And then we're going to go into a challenge. In Galatians 2.20, perhaps a familiar verse with you, he says, I have been crucified 
with Christ. So when we think 2,000 years ago, Jesus nailed to a cross, Paul is saying, I have been crucified with Christ. When Paul literally was hammered to a cross in the flesh, symbolically, I can count myself hammered to a cross with him. When Christ died in his person, in his humanity, I can count myself fit. Not physically, but symbolically dying with him. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Therefore, when Christ died, I died. And when I died, it's no longer me living and breathing. It's Christ living in me. And the life I I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. The life that I now live because Christ is in me. I, I know that I'm still alive. I breathe. I think. I have thoughts. I, I commit sins. There's, that's not Christ. He doesn't sin. So I know that it's still me living. But the life I now live since Christ is in me is by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So to break down Philippians 1.21 and Galatians 2.20. When Paul says, for me to live is Christ, that equals, if you will... Christ who lives in me, plus I live by faith in the Son of God. Since Christ is living in me, for me to live as Christ, I do it by living by faith in the Son of God. And we should note here, as we see this, that Paul's self-denial, Paul's self-denial is focused on what's best for the church, not for himself. He's not self-denying Um, For the sake of nothing. He's self-denying for me to live as Christ. I'm going to forsake living for myself in order to live for the church, for the advancement of the church, and for Christ's glory. And this is what he talks about his entire life. So, as we come to Philippians 1.21 and we hear this challenge for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. I think that as we hear... Stories of saints that read this verse and it radically changes their life. When they hear this and they say, no longer am I going to keep living for myself. Whenever I hear Philippians 1.21, I'm not going to say for to me to live as me. I mean, there's just so many distractions that beset us each week. I feel them each week. I thought more about replacement refs in the NFL this week than I did probably about Christ. That is wickedly sinful. Wickedly sinful. No longer do I want to. I mean, I couldn't get past verse 21 this week. I couldn't keep going because I had work to do. Is truly for me to live as Christ. And so I think when we hear saints that truly live out this verse, I think it encourages us. There was a missionary Named John G. Patton, a Scottish missionary to the New Hebrides, which is like more to the east of of Australia. I mean, what else is over there? Nothing. He was a Scottish missionary in the 1800s and he was going to the New Hebrides Islands, which is east of Australia, a good bit. And someone warns Patton as he's going, you're going to be eaten by cannibals if you go there. And this is what he responds The man that said this to him was advanced in years. And Patton looks at this man and he says, Sir, you're advanced in years now. And your body is soon to be laid in the grave. And there it's going to be eaten by worms. And then he says, I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus Christ, it will make no difference to me if I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. 
And in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair and as healthy as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. Only what's done for Christ is what will last. It doesn't matter to me. This life is a mist. It's a vapor. Who cares if they eat me? Only thing that matters to me is if I live for Christ. So our self-denial... I don't want you to miss this sentence. Our self-denial that Paul is calling for must be Christ-focused, not others-focused. Christ-focused primarily, then what advances the church, then what brings about the most believers. So the question for us all is, which one are you going to choose today? Which one are you going to choose today? Are you going to keep playing with the rest of your life? Kicking the can down the road on finally getting serious about saying for me to live as Christ. Or is it going to be today? Which one will you choose to live for yourself, for Christ? At the end of your life, do you want to be the final reality, the final way that you live for your your life for, for yourself or for Christ? Because I truly believe this. And I'm not just trying to lift up a September Sunday morning as the defining moment in your life. I truly believe this. Today is the day that you should make that decision. It's been that serious for me this week. I think this might be one of the most important sermons that we can hear thus far at Remedy. There's a book called Don't Waste Your Life where this idea of not wasting our life is put forward in the story of World War II. And this is what he says. He says, I'm deeply moved by the courage and carnage on Iwo Jima. As I read the pages of history, everything in me cries out, Oh Lord, don't let me waste my life. Let me come to the end, whether soon or late, and be able to say to a family, to the church, to the city, and to the unreached peoples of this earth, for your tomorrow I gave my today. Not just for your tomorrow on earth, but for the countless tomorrows of your ever-increasing gladness in God. The closer I look at the individual soldiers in World War II history, the more I felt a passion that my life would count and that I would be able to die well. And then he goes into a story about two people. One's a medic and one's a soldier. And the medic is the one who gets hurt. Listen to this. As a rainy morning wore on into the afternoon and the fighting bogged down, the Marines continued to take casualties. Often it was the medics themselves who died as they tried to preserve life. So the idea in a... a, a, in a soldier kind of setting here in World War II, is someone would get shot, a soldier, the medics would go and try to help them. And sometimes while they were trying to help, the medics themselves would be injured, sometimes fatally. And this is what he says. William Hoops of Chattanooga was crouching beside a medic named Kelly who put his head, Kelly put his head above a protective ridge, placed binoculars to his eyes just for an instant to see a sniper who was peppering his area. And in that instant, the sniper shot the medic, Kelly, straight through the Adam's apple. Hoops, the soldier who was also a pharmacist, 
um, himself struggled frantically to start saving the medic, his friend. And he says, I took forceps and I reached deep into his neck to grasp the artery and pinch it off. His blood was spurting. He had no speech, but his eyes, they just stared at me. His eyes were on me. He knew that I was trying to save his life. I tried everything in the world and I couldn't do it. I tried. The blood was just so slippery. I couldn't find the artery. I was trying so hard. And all the while, he just looked at me. He looked directly into my face. And the last thing is to di- that he did as the blood spurts became less and less was to start patting me on the arm. As if to say, it's all right. And then he died. And then John Piper says this as he tells the story. In this heartbreaking moment, I want to be both hoops and I want to be Kelly. I want to be able to say to the suffering and perishing people all around me. I tried everything in the world. I was trying so hard. And I want to be able, as I lay on the ground, to those around me as I die and say, it's all right. As I'm dying, you need to know it's all right for to me to live as Christ. I'm going to do everything I can as I live. But also it's all right as I die. To die right now in this moment is gain. I'm going to be with Christ. I did everything I could in my life. And I'm going to die well. Knowing that because I lived in such a way that said... I'm going to live today for Christ when I die and I'm drawing in the last breath in my lungs. I can say now to die is gain. And so for you, Remedy, for all of us, including myself right now, as we near the last moments of our life, whenever that comes today, tomorrow, 30 years from now, can we say along with this man, along with Paul, this is what Christ wants. I did Everything I could do for Christ. The life I lived, the one that I was given, I did everything I could for him. I think this is a challenge for us today. Is for us truly to live is Christ. That's the question we have. And that's it. We'll talk about the implications next week. I just want to put it out there and just say, is this going to be the way you live your life? It's the way I want to live my life. It's the way I want Remedy Church to live their life. We rarely do this, if ever, at Remedy. Because I don't want things to be emotionally driven. But this morning, I've just been feeling the pressing of the Spirit this morning to say, if this is the way you want to live your life, then maybe, as we go into a time of response, maybe the Lord is saying, I want you to come forward and leave your life here at the altar. This, there's nothing magic about this front of the room. You don't have to come forward. I don't, I don't really care if you come forward. You can do it all in your chair for all I care if you do it. 
But maybe you want to come forward and let the thoughts of Galatians. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ. I'm going to come forward and I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to symbolically agree that I was put to death on the cross. And I'm going to leave it here. And now I'm going to march forward saying the life I live now is by faith in the son of God. And so during this time of response, we've got some space. We've got at least four songs. And maybe you want to come forward and just leave it all here and march forward and say, this, this Sunday morning, this particular verse, this, this Holy Spirit today has, has changed it. I just say, plead with you. Be obedient with the Spirit this morning. I'm going to pray and as the Holy Spirit leads, let's worship together. Jesus, I... I'm just so dependent upon you in these moments right now. Vulnerability is scary, not just for myself, but for those here. Scary. But perhaps it's what you're leading all of us towards right now to really look at our lives, really look at our lives. And ask the question, is for me to live Christ? Would you come now? And as the challenge is laid out before us. Would we just be obedient, Lord? Would you lead us to be obedient? Be with us all as we respond. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.